One of the most memorable things I learned in the seminary is that the letter of St. Paul to the Hebrews is not a letter, it was not written by St. Paul, and it was not written to the Hebrews. <laughs> but we call it Hebrews anyway. I mean, it was written in Greek. I mean, how would it be to the Hebrews? Anyway, the main point, what we're going to hear from today, we've been hearing about from Hebrews for seven weeks in a row here during the fall, October, <laughs> November. But the main point today is about how Jesus Christ is our high priest. Hebrews is the highest Christological treatise of the Bible. In the end, the author says that's because Jesus became, Christ became human and really understood what it meant to suffer. He understands our weaknesses. And our other two readings today are also about suffering. We have a short portion from one of the suffering servant songs from Isaiah for our first reading. And then our gospel, James and John are going to be talking about glory. And Jesus is going to say, no, you have to drink from the cup from which I drink. But don't just think about the suffering today. Let's also concentrate on the fact that it's a shared suffering. I came up with that before the football game. Um, but Jesus says, with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. Many Americans over the age of 60, whether or not they are Catholic, tell of the huge impact that the ecumenical council called Vatican II had on the world. Between the years of 1962 and 1965, this conference of all the world's bishops, plus consulting theologians and outside observers, was front-page news on a daily basis. But some people under the age of 40 have never even heard of Vatican II. And if you're a current student and you've heard of the council, you may think of Vatican II as ancient history. The Pope who called for Vatican II, a guy we really like around here, who's now called Blessed John XXIII, opened the Council 50 years ago this month. And the anniversary has prompted renewed debates about the impact of the Council. Is it to be understood as a restating of what the Church has always taught? Is it to be understood as a break with the past? How big an impact has it had? Was it a breath of fresh air or a loss of tradition? Well, we've had 21 ecumenical councils in the history of the church, and it usually takes about 100 years to implement the ideas of an ecumenical council. So it's probably premature to give a final analysis to Vatican II. I hope this isn't heretical, but I'll take a risk. I sometimes imagine the Holy Spirit as a person, I can imagine her looking on at our current debates, shaking her head. I called you all together for this council, I can hear her saying, and yet you're missing the main points of what we did. Jesus may have been similarly shaking his head in response to James and John in today's gospel. Jesus has been teaching about the necessity of his passion and death, but James and John only focus on the coming glory. James and John focus on what they want Jesus to do for them, rather than focusing on what Jesus wants them to do for him. He tells them, with the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. Thanks to Vatican II, we hear this talk of baptism very differently than we used to. 
That's because Vatican II has tapped into additional layers of the meaning of what it means to be baptized. It used to be that we saw baptism primarily as something you needed to do as insurance to get to heaven. If I get baptized, God, then you will bring me into your kingdom at the end of time. But now we see baptism more as a pledge, a promise, a covenant for this lifetime. God, I want to be, or I want my child to be a member of the body of Christ. Through baptism, you will knit me into the body of Christ. And then through the grace of your Holy Spirit, I will serve to build your kingdom in this present age. Vatican II has likewise given us additional dimensions to the concept of church. In the 1970s, a Jesuit priest named Avery Dulles studied the various images that Christians used to describe what the church was. He eventually named six images in his seminal book, Models of the Church. And this book has become so influential to us that Dulles was named an honorary cardinal in 2001. These various images of church have existed from the earliest centuries of Christianity, but none of them alone individually describes the fullness of what the church is. Vatican II has helped us to hold them in tension with one another, giving us a fuller sense. Dulles's six models of church are the church as an institution, the church as a mystical communion, the church as a sacrament, the church as a herald, the church as a servant, and the church as a communion of disciples. But let's stick to basics here. The church is not just an institution. It is the body of Christ. When we were baptized, we became part of the church, part of the body of Christ. With the baptism with which Jesus Christ was baptized, we have been baptized. But we live in a very anti-institutional culture. We see ourselves as individuals more than belonging to groups. We complain about financial institutions, large corporations, and the government. Don't blame me, we say. It's not my fault that Congress can't accomplish anything. I'm not part of the system. But Christianity has taught us that we are part of the system. Each of us has gifts to offer the larger community. Christianity offered a place to all the people in the Roman Empire who weren't wealthy male citizens. The church told the women, the slaves, and the children that they had equal dignity. The church honors women such as Lucy and Agatha who refused to allow themselves to be possessions of wealthy men whom they did not want to marry. So many of us have a strange relationship with that word church. We voluntarily identify ourselves as Christians, but we speak about the church as if it were an institution to which we do not belong. We make declarations that begin with phrases such as, the problem with the church is such and such. Or, if the church knew what it was doing, it would do so and so. And you know what? Sometimes I fall into that trap too, and I've consecrated my life to the church. When we speak of the church as if it is something to which we ourselves do not belong, we are neglecting the baptism of Christ 
into which we have also been baptized. So here's the challenge for us. The next time we want to speak about the entity we're calling the church, let's stop and ask if we would be comfortable using the word we instead. If we're uncomfortable saying the problem with us is such and such, then probably we shouldn't be saying the problem with the church is such and such since we are the church. We need to struggle to find uh, the proper name for the actual entity that we're talking about if we're not talking about the church. We are part of the institution trying to live out Jesus' teaching. We are a mystical communion. We are a living sacrament to the world. We are heralds of the good news. We are servants of the poor. We are a communion of disciples. We are baptized. We are knit into the body of Christ.